true crime podcast don't blame the mom i'm kate i'm hannah welcome back guys this is episode 15 15 oh, why don't we think why don't we talk about this beforehand i, I don't know because I'm we're g- talking rubbish usually beforehand <laughs> like yeah what time we put on our fake tan <laughs> mine's still developing in case you were wondering as is mine in case yep. you're wondering <laughs> <laughs> welcome back guys um so yeah the episode today well you're gonna give us a little bit about that after i will but we do want to say a big thank you to everyone who has joined us this week on our social media we've got lots of new instagram followers we do and we have new followers on our Apple and on Spotify. Spotify. Yep. Which and is amazing because that's yep. where you can actually listen to us. So yeah. that is amazing. So thanks for following. Yep. And we hope that you are enjoying what you're listening to so far. Yeah, we've had someone also uh, even write on our Facebook as well. So I set up a little Facebook, what's it called, group. Um, yeah. Where, you know, you can, um, it could be a discussion group or, you know, just any messages you want to throw at us guys, you know, you can comment on there. We have had a suggestion on there as well. So that's good. I have oh. yep, added Who? that to the list. Amazing. Who was the suggestion? The suggestion was, I mean, you could always look at the Facebook, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, it is Samuel Little. Oh, uh, yes. Which okay. we absolutely have to do anyway, yeah. because he is actually now, he's beaten Gary Ridgway, isn't he? From the most victims officially that he's killed. Gary Ridgway is about 79. And That's Samuel insane. Little is in the 90s. So he has gone above and beyond. So yeah, we'll definitely put him on the list. Thank you so much for that suggestion. Amazing. Hannah also presented me with a new cup today. Um, ta a don't blame the mom cop. Yep. So exciting. I've got one as well. Yay, cheers. Cheers. These are little coffees today. How cool. Mm. It's making me drink even more coffee than I normally do, which is not <laughs> a great thing. I but can imagine. Oh my God, lipstick all over it. That looks yes. so gross. We're being very sensible today. You won't hear any ice clinking as well, which is, uh, so oh, you're yeah. welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I know how annoying Got in is. trouble with producer Sean last week. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, uh, Sean. But yeah, so um, gosh, what case have we got for episode number 15? Okay, well actually, I don't think we have anything for Don't Blame Us or Don't Blame Me this week, which is good. really, yeah, we haven't had a lot of, um, you know, people saying, oh, you know, by the way, can you do this? Or by the way, this was wrong or anything. So like I said, though, if you want to say anything like that, (laughs) please do, because we just like any kind of interaction, guys. So yeah, any messages, do uh, messages on Instagram. We do reply to everything as well and um, on Twitter and stuff as well. So we're getting lots of messages from uh, James on Twitter. He's loving every episode and given actually lots of suggestions too. Um, and then also Matt on Instagram. Um, uh, yeah, we have Tijuana May. She says we're her favorite podcast. Yes. Uh, her new favorite podcast, shall we say. Uh, not to, <laughs> we're uh, very grateful. Yes, not to... Uh, you Toot know, your own horn there. Toot your own horn, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, any more messages, guys, do... Um, keep sending them our way right so today i am going to get started so on the 6th of may 2013 911 operators in cleveland ohio receive a call from an extremely distressed female the caller asks to be connected to the police and immediately identifies herself as amanda berry telling the 911 operator i've been kidnapped i've been missing for 10 years i'm here i'm free now From here, a harrowing tale of kidnap, rape and torture in a house of horrors will be broadcast across the world. This is the case of the Monster of Cleveland, 
Ariel Castro. Oh, what a nasty, nasty piece of work. So um, let's go back uh, many, many years into Ariel Castro's childhood. So Ariel Castro was born in Dewey, Puerto Rico on April the 10th, 1960. He was the third child of Pedro Castro and Lillian Rodriguez. His father was also the largest landowner in that area. Um, Mm. And yeah, so in 1962, his mother Lillian found out that her husband had another wife and four other children. So... Ariel's dad is a bigamist. I actually had forgotten that. Yeah. That is, yes. I didn't even know until and I started reading about they this. They literally were like the next house down the hill or down the mountain what? or whatever. Yes. Oh my like, God. The is, cheek. It, the absolute brazenness of it. I can't believe that. That's awful. Yeah. So she, fi- she finds that out and he consequently leaves Lillian and their children for the other woman. So oh she decides to start working in Pennsylvania and then she just leaves her kids with their grandmother, Habilia Carabello. Um, so they stay in Puerto Rico. Now, as a trigger warning here, guys, this, um, this is where Ariel Castro was sexually abused from the age of five by a neighbor called Pucho who was only nine years old mm. um yeah and I mean like all sorts That's of you really know odd, right? it, that child's really it is. young but I mean they do say don't don't they that sometimes abuse breeds abuse yeah so um this could be the behavior of a child who is experiencing the same thing and then you know basically doing it to another smaller person yeah so i mean that's that's the first thing i thought anyway when i read it so um all of the abuse he endured was never reported to anyone not family members or otherwise he did later say however that this may have started his very early premature obsession with sex and compulsive masturbation um so when his mum returns in 1966, she's really nasty to Ariel. She'd shout at him, shout like insults, belittle him, hit him every day. She was really um, abusive physically and mentally as well. So not a very nice woman, clearly. Um, he also said that she beat him with sticks and belts and her open hands. So all sorts of types of, you know, physical abuse going on there. It sounds awful. Um, in 1970, when he was 10, his family moved to Cleveland, Ohio, where some, I don't know what accent that was. I always, whenever I say Ohio, I'm like, Ohio? Ohio? Ohio. <laughs> where some family members were already living. His uncle, Ceci, I think that's how you pronounce it, yeah. had a record shop there and he gave Ariel a guitar, which he loved, and he became a bass player, which he actually went on to do part-time later in life um, alongside his other day jobs. So it's a real shame that he didn't stick to that and kind of pursue that as a hobby rather than dreaming of becoming a sexually sadistic deviant. But, you know, <laughs> each to their own. So in 1980, Castro begins dating his 17-year-old neighbor, Nilda Figuera. When she lost her virginity to him, he was basically forced to let her to stay with him and his family. It was when she got pregnant and gave birth to their first child that his behavior really switched and his abusive, controlling, true character started to emerge. Yes, so after Gramilda and um, Castro had their first child, as Hannah said, things went downhill really quickly. So he was beating Gamilda regularly and badly. Um, so at times she even was wearing like headscarves and stuff to ca- to cover the injuries he was causing to her head. Gosh. He was really, really violent. Um, and she'd have constantly covered in bruises, black and blue all the time. 
So she suffered numerous injuries at his hands, including and not limited to broken ribs, broken nose, broken and knocked out teeth, two lysicated shoulders, multiple serious head traumas, of which at least one of these serious head traumas led to a clot forming on her brain, Mm. which developed into a brain tumor later on in life and actually did go on to be the cause of her death in... And the 25th of April 2012. Now, wow. actually, in my mind, he should have gone down for that murder too, because that is directly linked. I mean, isn't he charged? Is he charged with that? Oh, no. Because he had about 900 and he, something charges. Yeah. We're going to go into that. At I'll the go end. into it later. Yeah. It, I, it's because there are so many it's, it's hard to go hard, through and break yeah. them all down but yeah, yeah th- we'll go into that a bit later on mm. but i just i mean listen so he would even attack her when she was pregnant pushing her down the stairs mm. like i think at times he was trying to cause her to have Miscarriage? miscarriages and things like that Ugh. so they moved to what would become an infamous infamous house um or this infamous house of horrors yeah 2207 Seymour Avenue in Tremont, Cleveland in 1992. Now, they lived there for only... They were only together there for another four years because in 1996, Grimilda would finally leave him for good, mm. taking their children with her. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, that was a long process, as we know these things always are. Um, but she did go on to meet a new guy, Fernando Colon, who was actually working in the hospital that she used to attend frequently. He was working there as a security guard and got to know her through that. Wow. Yeah, so he'd, you know, maybe he'd have to... Like bring her in at yeah. times or find her like a wheelchair or something. It's crazy, to move isn't her. it? That like um, Castro's like how badly he treated her and beat her all the time led to her actually meeting someone who yeah. was nice to her. Because mm. had she not been in the hospital all the time, maybe she never would have met him. Absolutely. You're so right, actually. Mm. Had she not been there, she might not have met him. But he hated that Castro, didn't he? I'd well, bet. he absolutely hated it. So they went on to marry and they did have a son together. Um, so Castro was absolutely furious over this and threatened her many times. Um, he, so he told the police actually at one stage to look at, this is so crazy. He told the police to actually look at Fernando for the disappearances of Amanda and Gina at one stage. Now, Fernando went back to them and said, you actually should look at him. Yeah. He is an absolute nutter. Mm. But um, they, uh, the police didn't actually follow up on that, probably because they thought this is a domestic dispute. Oh, you know, there was damn. just this constant thing going back and forth. Mm. Um, so Castro and his, and Gamilda actually had four, ch- had four children together. So then she had this, another, so she ended up with five children because she had this other yeah. with Fernando. So Gamilda did bring Castro to court years later in the early 2000s. Um, over the abuse that she suffered at his hands. Mm-hmm. But she, in the end, was actually too afraid to testify because he had threatened that he would kill her and her children. Mm-hmm. Um, so she did actually, there's a few different things that happened. On the day of the court, for some reason, her lawyer couldn't turn up. And I think just all became too much for her. And she just I stepped mean, away also, from it. it's that intimidation that mm. he's been obviously doing to her for years as well and the bullying yes and the belittling and that kind of thing which domestic abusers like to do it's that way of their way of controlling absolutely and by you know like always doing stuff like that to her it's it's also kept her even if they're not together under his control by her being too afraid to stand up to him in court because that's a very scary thing to do i'm sure you know absolutely absolutely um, so Castro later again convinced the girls to testify against their stepfather, Fernando, for abusing them. 
Now, the case was eventually dropped, but Fernando did serve a three-year probation service and had to register as a sex offender. What? Yeah. He was a real piece of work, this What fella. was the evidence? Um, the girls. He convinced the girls. Oh, right. To, yeah, sorry. So, to lie. To lie. Oh, my basically, gosh. Basically, yeah. Um, wow. So, he convinced them that they should go and do this, and they did. And, you know... This poor fella, Fernando. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you, you couldn't make it up, could you? No. So after this, so Castro did have another girlfriend later on called Lillian Rolden. So they dated from about 2000 and the relationship lasted for about three years. She was much younger than him, I think by about 13 or 14 years. Wow. Um, but she really, really liked him. And she later would go on to say he never abused her. In fact, he was nothing but a gentleman. Mm. They had a very normal sex life. There was nothing of this BDSM kind of extremities that he was really into. How long were they together? About three years. Three to four years. Do we believe her? Yeah. No, no, no. We do believe her because when he broke up with her, the classy fella that he is, he broke up with her via letter. Oh. Which he left on her kitchen table. Of course he did. Of course he did. <laughs> so in this letter, so he broke up within this letter. She obviously was furious, rang him and was like, get your ass over here and explain to me <laughs> what's going on. Like, yeah. Uh, so made him come and talk to her face to face. So he said to her, he had too many commitments. Bless him. Ugh. We'll go on to find out what those commitments were yeah, later. such a busy guy. Yeah. Can I just say one thing as well? I think I read somewhere as well that, because her name was Lillian and it's the same name. As his mom. Yeah, were you about mm. to say that? Mm. Okay, sorry. I'm going to stop yeah. doing my interrupting. He, I don't mind to say much. Interrupter. Interrupter. If I was a superhero, I would be interrupter. Interrupto, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she... Yeah, so he did actually really like that. He loved that her name was the same as his mom. He th- thought that be- meant there was some kind of special connection. Oh, that's weird. That's, there's something weird going on there. Oh, yeah, he's just full of it though, isn't he? I'd say he was just, you know, using anything. Yeah. Um, so she would later go on to realise that she had actually been in this House of Horrors and Seymour Avenue whilst the girls were there. Um, Castro actually spoke about a time when Michelle was watching TV upstairs mm. and... Lillian could hear it from downstairs and said to him, who's watching TV? And he said that he somehow managed to distract her and move off that co- topic of conversation. But he really thought, oh my God, the jig is up. Wow. Like she's starting to suss this out. But she she wasn't. She had absolutely no idea and she was none the wiser. Yeah. Um, but that was actually a common theme for anyone who went to that house. You know, there is, as Hannah said, he was in a band. So he was a bass player in a Latino band. Now, there seems to be a few different bands, but one of them was Grupo Cannon. And he was apparently an extremely talented bass player. Yeah. So, and I keep seeing everywhere that he was the third best Latino bass player in Cleveland. I mean, how <laughs> anyone can judge that is beyond me. Yeah. But like, anyway, that's that's what he was, that's where I've se- what I've seen and I'm going with it. Right. <laughs> um, but he was extremely difficult to work with. He was always late to practice, never wanted to conform. You know, if they were saying like, this is the outfit we're wearing, like we're all wearing black and white, but he had mm-hmm. turned up in red. You know, he right. was just difficult. An, oh, just you know one of those really irritating people. Yeah. Um, and like things like the band leader would want a certain composition to be played in a certain way, and Castro would be given out saying, I don't want to do it this way. Eventually he would do it the way he would want him to, but then on gig night, he had just played the way he wanted to. Oh my god. Like, just Someone really who wants annoying. to be like the main character. He wants to be like a soloist or something. Yeah, mm. oh god, I could even imagine. <laughs> but um so he <clears throat> excuse me 
He did, however, hold down a school bus driver career for 22 years. Mm. Now, I wouldn't say he was the best at this job, and Hannah, I'm going to tell you why. Mm-hmm. So he had <laughs> numerous offences, right, where he would end up in these disciplinary hearings. hearings yeah. And these are just a few of them. So I'm going to list these off because I've written them all down. Okay. So on the 4th of July, 2004, Castro was investigated for child abduction and endangerment. He left a four-year-old boy on the bus while he went to have lunch at his local Wendy's. Stop. In total, he had the four-year-old on the bus for about two hours before dropping him off <gasps> late to school. No. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. We all love a bit of fast food, right? But, you know... Potentially becoming a child abductor just to go and have a burger. A Come Wendy's. on, Castro. What so the hell? police went to question Castro about this incident. He didn't answer the front door and they never followed it up. Oh, for God's sake. This was also investigated by the Cleveland Child and Family Services. And they claim, and the claim was found to be uns, unsubst- substantiated. The, the claim was found to be unsubstantiated. Thank you, Hannah. However, the Cleveland School District Disciplinary Board did suspend him for 60 days without pay. On another occasion, teachers watched on in horror as Castro Castro did an illegal and dangerous U-turn with the bus full of school children in the back. He again (laughs) received 60 days of unpaid suspension. But on appeal, they minus five days off it. So he did 55 days. On the 14th of February, 2012, Castro was seen using the school bus to do his food shop. Stop. Imagine <laughs> how many spaces he would take up with that bloody bus. Can you go? It's hard enough getting a parking space. It is like, you know. Just uh, pulling into your local Sainsbury's. Oh my God. Bloody <laughs> cheek. In a disciplinary, he admitted that he had been doing this regularly. He again <laughs> suspended for 60 days. Oh, but God. this time he was made to sign a document that said he understood that if he committed any more offences, he would lose his job with immediate effect. Right. On the 20th of September, no, 2012. He no, he did not. <laughs> this is great. Castro parked the school bus right outside the school, blocking an emergency exit and entry. He left it there for four hours <laughs> while he went home to have a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. He was again brought in for disciplinary. He wrote he did a handwritten statement that he read at this hearing apologizing, saying he didn't realise he was doing anything wrong. This was not accepted. Oh. And he was let go with immediate effect. Um, oh my god. He would later go on to say that he purposely got himself fired. And Michelle actually would later go on to say that after this he became more depressed and more violent within the mm. household. Just a short while later, in November 2012, he was fired as the bassist from the band that he was in. So they were just fed up of him with yeah. all this mess about. Suppo- I'm bloody fed up of him. I've only been listening for five minutes. <laughs> no, he's just unreal. Just your average pain in the arse, really. Yeah. Um, so well. yeah, that's a kind of brief download on Castro. Right. Well, I'm still reading in shock. Down low, down low. God. (laughs) (laughs) We we know what you mean. So, yeah. So after, obviously, all of his um, crazy antics and stuff like that. And and meanwhile, he was doing all this crazy stuff on his school bus. Um, He also was um, having all of these really awful thoughts and and kind of dreaming about stuff that he wanted to do, which um, became so overpowering that he decided that he was going to act upon one of his awful ideas. 
So um, now he developed a very sick and strong compulsion to capture and abduct a teenage girl, hold her captive in his home and use her as his personal sex slave so he could just live out all his twisted fantasies on her. Um, he was really deeply into BDSM now. So to act out these fantasies, he needed to have total control and total possession of a vulnerable, helpless uh, female. And unfortunately for one young girl, he's ready to make these dreams a reality. So it's August 22nd, 2002, and Castro is in a dollar store. I guess we call it Poundland over here. And uh, when he hears a young girl asking the cashier for the cashier if i get if i say if i mispronounce something wrong my sisters always have a go at me so i'm really paranoid now. i do it in every single f- episode and it is yeah. it makes me paranoid what do you have too. a go what do you have a go at kate girls all right oh, no leave me alone <laughs> no. so the young girl is asking the cashier for directions um to get to the social services courts now this is michelle knight and she'd recently lost custody of her son when her mum's boyfriend fractured the boy's leg and she was in the process of meeting social services for an evaluation an evaluation in order to regain custody of her son so when castro spots her he assumes she's about 15 because she's short and she looks younger so he thinks she's like a perfect potential victim but in actual fact michelle's 21 at this stage um so he goes up and he offers her a ride to the social services as she actually knows his daughter emily so she vaguely kind of knows him and so she happily accepts and once in his car castro says oh i've got some puppies at home i need to feed them quickly and michelle says okay i'll just wait in the car but when they're outside his house he tries to lure her in by promising to let her pick a puppy for her son and so she agrees Oh, God, that is just so sadistic. Oh, I know. So now, unbeknownst to Michelle, she has just walked into Ariel Castro's essentially sex dungeon because this house and all the rooms are kitted out with all sorts of bindings, ropes, chains, um, you know, some a bit of soundproofing, everything ready for him to keep a girl as his sex slave and just for him to abuse and, and hold captive for good. So Michelle said when she walks in, it's dead silent. Like she couldn't hear any puppies. There was no noise, which is very strange. You know, Mm. puppies are pretty noisy. I mean, just look at Buddy and he's not even a puppy. So (laughs) she thought that was really odd. But she's led up the stairs to a pink room when suddenly he slams the door closed and he bolts it from the outside. Instantly, she starts banging on the door saying, I need to get to my appointment, let me out. Um, And he races back in, puts his hand over her mouth, rips off her glasses and says, if you scream again, I'm going to kill you. So absolutely terrified and rightly so, she passes out. Um, When she comes around, he's standing over her, just staring at her. And then disappears to another room. And this is when she spots two large metal poles either side of the room with like cables attached to both of them stretched out between them. So it's like a few feet off the floor. Um, Oh God. I know. How terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. He comes back in holding an electrical cord that he ties round her ankles so tight that they go numb. And he ties it up to around her neck. And she is helpless as he then... Um, trigger warning he then masturbates over her and tells her all i want is someone here um someone here to to be with me um i need you which is so creepy Mm. he then beats her holds a gun to her to further terrify her and keep complete control over her and then he ties her up by her hands with another cable 
drags her over to these met like between these metal poles and then he hoists her up so she's suspended completely incapacitated and trussed up and bound and hanging a few feet off the floor and um, almost um now i've written this because this is what i visualized straight away it's almost like a fly trapped in the middle of a spider's web so completely stretched out completely stuck in this the middle and there's nothing horrendous. she can do i mean it is like unbelievable it's like literally like something from a horror film it is from yeah. your worst nightmares and this poor girl is there any horror movies based on castro i don't know i mean it's, it's quite a recent case isn't it it's 10 years ago but maybe i, I mean, know there's I wouldn't a be surprised i know there is a movie documenting it but it's more from the girl's perspective uh, you know, it's yeah, not like a yeah. horror movie if you know what yeah I mean. we'll have to have a, a google so um after this castro stuffs like an old sock in her mouth and he puts the radio on and leaves and he only comes back later to try to force feed her an egg mcmuffin um when Ugh, she can't gross. i know right when she can't eat, well, she can't eat at all because she's completely numb. She's crying. She's in agony. And she's had, she soiled herself because she's been left there for so long. She doesn't even know how long. She's absolutely terrified. He then beats her again. He, he rapes her again. And after this, now she's been put on like a dirty mattress in another room, just, which is covered in her own blood at this point. And she starts begging him to let her go. And he starts talking to her like she's his partner. He says, I didn't mean to beat my ex-wife. I didn't have the power to stop myself. I was molested when I was little. And all this kind of stuff that he's just unloading onto her yeah. um, out of the blue. And then he throws money at her and he says, that's your payment. Like he's trying to further degrade her. Like she's just, you know, like the sex was a, tra well, the rape was a transactional thing, you know, which it wasn't. She was forced into it. Yeah. She can't move. Um, now he drags her down to the basement. He hits her head on every single step on the way down. It's completely filthy down there. It's dark. It's dirty. There's soiled clothes everywhere and low, just piles of pornographic like videos. Um, and here she's kept prisoner for eight months, tied up, con con constantly, um, you know, raped. And she's not allowed to shower. He's got a bucket that he lets her use as a toilet. And this cycle of abuse just continues for years. She's in a living hell. It was said that she got the brunt of his anger and the beatings and he used her as a punch bag and had zero compassion towards her. She was like an object to him. She was only fed one burger a day, sometimes none. Um, the fact she survived this is a miracle mm. and a testament to how brave and how resilient Michelle is. Um, yeah. it's, it's so amazing to show obviously how robust like humans can be, but like so many people would have broken. It's incredible that she's, managed to you know come through this isn't that one of the things she said that she felt the reason why he was so much worse to her mm. was because he couldn't break her yeah and she said because she would um argue back with him and she would you know she would give him a bit of lip a bit of cheek yeah which probably he hated because like that's not ultimate submission is it yeah you know she she kind of gave it back and this girl you know she's pretty she's she's not had it great already in her life but i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna get to oh, that sorry. oh look but... who's jumping the gun again <laughs> <laughs> it's always got to be one of us i know um so months later she is brought upstairs and these daily attacks obviously continue they're gonna continue for good um, he does buy her radio at one point, but he says to her, you're not listening to any black artist. So he's actually really racist as well. This guy is a piece of shit. I'm not going to lie. He is awful. Um, now, it's another trigger warning. This is going to involve a bit of animal abuse. I almost didn't want to write this down because, you know, 
Um, I don't want Bonnie to hear. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> Poor Bonnie. So, yeah. So um, he, at one point, he buys her a puppy. Now, I don't think that he's doing this in a nice way. This is all, you know, like, he's obviously always cruel to her. But at some point, he bought her a puppy. And um, she really loved this dog. And it was almost like a, a source of comfort to her to be able to love something. But one day when Castro was raping and beating her, the dog tried to defend her by biting uh, Castro's ankle and um and so he broke his neck he broke the dog's neck and he threw it into the yard like in front of michelle it's just horrific this yeah. guy is an absolute animal he's a monster um she was also walked around the garden on a leash completely naked in his back garden it's insane insane it's, it's almost like the longer the time went on the more complacent he must have got and it must become his more normal to yeah. him. So he thinks it's okay to just go in his backyard and that people won't clock that there's a naked woman on a lead. I mean, you know, which neighbors did see. Neighbors I know, did I've see done a this. whole thing on it later on, just of different times mm. when he could have been caught. Okay, good. So yeah. but you can cover that more. But I just found that crazy. And I know that, um, you know, someone did spot it, but, but nothing was reported. He's just a complete sexual sadist. Um, at one point, Michelle almost escapes because he left a, like a little needle or a pin once in her room. Oh, yeah. And um, she keeps it. She hides it under her pillow, under this filthy mattress she's on. And so when she thinks that he's leaving the house, she starts to unpick some of the locks with it, which is so resourceful and so clever of her. I mean, literally. Yeah. And then one time she actually gets as far as one of the windows because she thinks he's left the house, but actually he's in the backyard. What he would sometimes do, or a lot of the times um, yeah. he would do is trick um, her and, and his soon to be other captors and basically pretend he's leaving, but hang around to see and he'd leave what they'll traps do. For them. And he'd leave traps and he'd to see like, so then if they do try to escape, he'd be like, surprise, I'm still here. That kind of, you know, so then he knows in the future, even if he's not there, they'll be too scared to, to yeah. try it again. He'd play mind games with exactly. them. And then if he went, once he caught them, he'd absolutely oh, beat them. So to, manipulative. To an inch of them yeah. their lives, you it's, know. It's probably to brainwash them into thinking that he is always going to catch them and find them. Yeah. So there's one point she almost gets out the window and uh, he sees her, drags her back in. And of oh. course, she gets an absolute beating of a lifetime from him. Now, I mean, the beatings that Michelle um, endures during the period of her, her captivity uh, are lifelong injuries. She's had, you know, she's deaf in one ear. She's, you know, partially blind. Um, she's had so many, like, beatings, daily beatings that she's got so many injuries that will never, you know, Has she'll she, never she be able to like recover nerve from. Damage in both nerve her damage arms. from, like, being bound for so many things or probably, and probably strung up from that between those poles as well. There's so many things. And I'm, I'll get into, I think, a little bit later on. I'll get into some of them. But, I mean, she went through absolute hell, this girl. Yeah. Um, so, sadly, during all this time, her disappearance went almost completely unnoticed. Her mum had, she had gone to police initially and said, you know, my daughter's not come back. But because she's an adult, she wasn't officially reported missing ever. And they did put notes down, which were eventually thrown away. Um, no one was really actively looking for her, which is heartbreaking. And it's something that he would tell her to to basically make her more upset. Like, yeah. no one's looking for you. No one cares that you're gone. You know, you're, you're only with me now. This is your life, which is just awful. Like, you're, so, you're not going to see your son. He's having all these, he's making his memories without you. All this kind of manipulation and just belittling. Um, now, she'd had a really unstable upbringing. Her mum brought home loads of different boyfriends. She was raped by a family member for years from a young age, and they threatened to kill her. Um, 
At times, her family lived, well, her and her mum lived in a car and her siblings, or sometimes in a house with up to 20 other people. At school, she was picked on and called Shorty because she was four foot seven. Um, At 15, she ran away from home and she was living in a garbage bin um, and she would get food from a church. It's at 15 years old. Mm. And this is just awful. She was, you know, this is like actually really, really bad. She was gang raped by some school boys in the school, which resulted in the birth of her son. So her life has been really bloody hard from I word go two different things about that gang rape mm. because the other thing i heard was that she says and in her book she says she had mm. a boyfriend who that son was from but there seems to be two conflicting yeah. stories I, so i don't know which one I'm, who knows maybe one of the gang members was, was a boyfriend, boyfriend and then let his friends you know yeah kind of whatever because that's not unheard of those things have happened as well yeah Oof. um um but all i got from from this, this part of the research was that um some boys maybe one was a boyfriend i don't know um so she's just bless her had a really awful life yeah. so far it's just like horrendous. everything just goes from bad to worse for her but um after you know a few years like this isn't enough for castro and he wants another slave to add to his collection and so he starts prowling around on the lookout for another victim Yes, and then on the 21st of April, 2003, Castro sees Amanda Berry. Now, Amanda Berry is, it's she's 16 at the time. It is the day before her 17th birthday. And she was leaving work and walking on West 110th and Lorraine Avenue. Mm. Now, she was working in the local Burger King where her brother was, her brother-in-law, sorry, was the manager. Mm-hmm. Now, she was upset that day because she had heard a rumor that her brother-in-law had been cheating on her sister. Um, so she'd been calling her mother upset about it and how to handle the rumor all day. Um, but she was also very excited for her birthday. So she had put $100 aside and her plan for that evening was to go get an outfit for her birthday party which was the next day and to get her nails done so she had put this 100 aside in her drawer in her bedroom all such normal things that are normal uh, normal things for a school girl who's obviously working hard should be able to do well it actually became quite important because as you can probably attest to with being a teenage girl at one stage um (laughs) years ago (laughs) a long time ago um you know there's no way, you know, one of the reasons why they decided she definitely wasn't a runaway, because you mm. know quite often these cases get put into this runaway category, mm. was because of that money. Because they were saying if she knew she was going to go, she never would have left the money at of home. Of course. So that did become important that she had left love that. that. Well, they love that, don't they? Runaways, runaways, runaways. Yeah. You know? No, it's just awful. So she so planned to get do all of that and then afterwards to go and meet her boyfriend DJ later on in the evening. So she'd actually finished work early and although she had a lift that was organised and I think she tried to call them to let them know she was finishing early or, you know, but she decided I'm going to make my own way home now anyway. So she left and was on the phone to her sister, Beth, and was told and then told her sister, oh, I've got a lift, I've got to go. Mm. Hung up the phone, but never told her sister who she was getting the lift with. How awful is that? Because if only she had. Just said, oh, it's such and such as dad. Yeah. Jumped in the car. So Ariel had seen Amanda walking down Lorraine Avenue 
And initially his daughter had actually been in the car with him and Amanda had seen the daughter who she recognized from school. Yeah. So when Ariel pulled up in his big maroon van, she thought, oh yeah, I know this guy. Like, yeah, and of course. I, you and would, wouldn't you? Initially she actually thought that his daughter was still in the car with him. Right. It wasn't until she jumped in, sorry, the van, wasn't until she jumped in the van, she realized that she was gone. Uh. So he had actually just dropped her at the corner and come back and got her, oh got God. Amanda. So when she was in the car, she realized that there was no door handles on the inside of the door. Like, <gasps> like my Ted worst Bundy. nightmare. Yeah, like that beetle that Ted Stay Bundy Stay away from vans. They ca- can't stress it enough. Yeah. Vans are just dangerous. And windowless ones as well. Uh, any type well, of actually van. any guys just just stay away from stay vans. away from vans yeah. unless it's an ice cream one and... no stay no? away okay, no sorry. i refuse all right <laughs> <laughs> absolutely refuse no ice cream um so she was actually only half a mile away from home as well it's all just so horrendous and so frustrating yeah so Again, a very similar experience to what Michelle had. They got back to the house. Mm. He managed to get her phone off her by just simply saying, oh, can I see your phone? And she gave it to him to look at. I think it was maybe a kind of fancy one or something. So yeah. she wasn't on, you know, when kind of phones were kind of getting yeah. a bit different and a bit cool. Yeah. Because at one stage we all had those flip phones or a Nokia. Everyone had a Nokia, Nokia 3310, 30 didn't 310. they? <laughs> I so those. I think it was probably past that stage of, mm. oh no, that's probably very Nokia 3310 times really. Well, this is what, 10 years ago? No, no, they, no, 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 they've been free for 20, 10 years. Yeah. 20 years, so it'd be around the time Nokia. of that. Yeah, so maybe she was showing off her Nokia 3310. Yeah. And also people that well, young didn't necessarily all have, have mobile phones, phones Absolutely then. not. But I mean, Absolutely also not. if an adult's asking to see something, you just kind of, you, you would. Yeah, if you, I was 15 and an adult, someone's dad's like, oh, can I just, I wouldn't argue it. Do you know what I mean? I'd be like, yeah, yeah, sure, there you go. Like, yeah. you don't really think an adult's going to be doing, doing anything bad. Yeah, that's so true. Um, so this, so he brings her into the house. Same thing. He says, "Come in. My daughter's probably home by now. Come in." Excuse me. So she goes in. Same thing. He attacks her. Brings her down to the basement. He is all trigger warning from here on. He brings her into the basement. He ties her up again with this cord. He puts a chain around her waist and chains her to one of those poles. Oh. He then, and this is really, really horrific. He then puts um, a gag in her mouth and puts duct tape over her and puts a helmet on her head. So that he's like sensory me, yeah, deprivation. Completely. It, it makes me like, like feel like I like. Yeah, it gives I me anxiety. Yeah, yeah, it gives me horrible. absolute anxiety. Yeah. So, uh, same situation to Michelle. It was all horrific. I'm not going to go into any more details than that. Yeah. So. Uh, but the one difference was so he eventually same thing she stays downstairs in the basement for a short amount of time then he moves her upstairs um, and he moves her into a a different bedroom Mm. so he has the girls in separate rooms upstairs both of them are chained by the ankles um, and the chains are like running through the walls so they're actually connected through chains that run through the walls of the house it's all it's just madness house of horrors is is the perfect terminology for it um, so he used to let Amanda and Michelle, at times he'd let them watch TV with him and things like that. And he is especially interested, again, part of his mind games, if they were, for example, Amanda's parents were very clued up into looking for her. Yeah. And, you know, they kept saying she has definitely been kidnapped or something's happened to her. It was on her. the news, wasn't it? She never would have left. Yeah. 
if she because she she never would have gone anywhere wearing that burgundy Burger King, Burger King jo- yeah. top she mm-hmm. would have bought a change of clothes yeah. if she was going somewhere so they were really from day dot they were like no no something's happened and, to her yeah. so they were on the news all the time begging for her to be returned home begging for her to call if she could telling her you know they love her we want you back and oh. he would let the girls watch this stuff mm. and then the more that this happened over the years, he would say to poor Michelle, look, nobody's looking for you. Yeah. And, you know, everybody loves Amanda, blah, blah, blah. But well, no he loved Amanda more too, didn't he? He did. Michelle was, she, she got the brunt of She was the it. punching <clears throat> bag. Yeah, absolutely. So on April the 28th, 2003, <clears throat> excuse me. You're excused. Lu- Luana Miller. Amanda's mother was making a plea on TV for her to return. Castro actually, so this is only a few days after her, her kidnap. Castro actually uses Amanda's phone to ring her, to ring Luana and says to her, let me just check what she says. You're, I have your daughter. She's healthy and okay. Um, and when she asked to speak with Amanda, he hung up the phone. Then he rang her back and said, Mandy is going to be my wife. He wa- I want to marry her and she wants to marry me. Um, so initially police thought this might be a hoax and wondered if Amanda might be in on it um, but again the parents are like absolutely no. not she would not do this to us oh, gosh. so by the 3rd of May a reward was being offered for intima- information of Amanda's kidnapping and like they just weren't getting the information mm-hmm. they needed and now years later I think it was 2005 um, a psychic called Sylvia Brown went on the Montel Williams show and Amanda's in the audience. And it was one of these things where they were allowed to ask her questions. Right. Not Amanda, sorry, Amanda's mother. Luana is in the yeah. audience. So she asks Sylvia Brown, is my daughter alive? Mm. You know, and, and whatever. And Amanda says, she's not alive, honey. Your do- And I can tell you why I know this. Your daughter's not the kind who wouldn't call. Then she goes on to say things like, oh, I hate it when they're in water. She talks about a jacket <gasps> being in the dumpster and if they found that, they might have been able to solve the case. Absolutely not correct at all. Like, it's all really distressing. Wow. Um, and afterwards, Luana went home in complete distress and she actually, within a couple of days, cleans out Amanda's bedroom. No, that's... Gives oh away, like, gosh. her computer and some of her yeah. things wow. to people who might need them. Um. <sighs> And she actually would die of heart failure in March 2006. But those who knew her well say that she died of a broken heart. Yeah. And it's so sad because... It's awful. This is all whilst her daughter is it's, being held captive. Yeah. And, and so suffering in this get hell. to say goodbye to her own mum. Mm-hmm. So Amanda ends up hearing this all from Michelle because Michelle actually had her TV on and saw on the news the death of Luana Miller. So she... Castro had, didn't say anything. But he allowed Amanda, uh, no, so he allowed Michelle and at the time Gina was there as well. He allowed her to go into the other room to speak to her. And so Michelle, thinking that she knew, was like, I'm so sorry about your mum. And Amanda was like, what are you talking about? Oh my God. And then she had to tell her what she had seen. Just horrendous. Oh my God. A few weeks later, Amanda, after Michelle's, um, after her mother's death, Amanda realises she's pregnant. Now, Michelle had had numerous pregnancies already, yeah. all of which had been forced abortions, yeah. forced miscarriages from Castro. Yeah. He would beat her until she, until she miscarried or starve her or however. 
Um, so Bokasha is actually really happy mm. when he realizes that she is pregnant and hopes that this is going to lift her spirits after her mother's died. And he treats her brilliantly. And now he actually starts to give her a lot more freedom around the house mm-hmm. and kind of starts treating her like she's his wife. Mm-hmm. And actually later goes on to say that they've, they've married in secret. Or it's all, he's Twisted. deluded. He's all deluded. Um, so... So Amanda's pregnant. So now Michelle again finds out that she is pregnant a few weeks later and mm. it's not the same. Nope. And he again attacks, punches, jumps on her, does awful things to ensure that this baby doesn't and survive. It happened five times, didn't it? Yeah. Five times he made yeah. her miscarry where Amanda was allowed to keep hers. So it shows the level of favoritism, doesn't it, as well? Yeah, it's all very strange. Mm. On Christmas Day 2006, Amanda goes into labour. Ariel leads her back down to the basement where he has a paddling pool for her to birth in. Michelle, who is still recovering from her own forced miscarriage, is also led down to the basement and told to deliver the baby. When the baby is born, she's not breathing. Castro points a gun that he carries uh, carries with him at all times at Michelle and says, if that baby dies, I'm going to kill you. Michelle performs CPR on the baby and compressions on her chest and manages to save the baby's life. Wow. The baby is named Jocelyn and apparently Ariel Ariel apparently keeps the placenta in his fridge as a memento. What? Stop. (laughs) I know. Oh my God. That is savage. I'm sorry. No. I know. I know that people do keep the placenta and use it for like different things and eat it and stuff. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I I think you just kept it there for like... Mm -mm. I don't know, for like in forever. Oh. I don't know. Oh, gross. He's a strange guy. Um, the baby is moved upstairs to Amanda's room. Castro now actually removes the chains from Amanda so the baby would never see them. But it would still be two years before he takes the chains off his other two captives. Justin lifts everybody's spirits like a breath of fresh air in the house. Um, Ariel now saw them all as a family. Like deluded much. Oh, it's a very dysfunctional family. Very. Um, so as Jessalyn grew older, Amanda wanted to give her as normal a life as possible and began trying to teach her. She would play act the whole ordeal of getting up, getting ready for school, walking to school, how to cross the road. And then once they got to like the school door, mm. she'd become the teacher. Mm-hmm. And then it would be, hi, you're at school now. And she'd do maths Aww. and English with her teacher how to read. Wow. Yeah, really amazing. And this went on for years. And Jocelyn was allowed to roam freely around the house. So Castro would actually take her places with him Mm. um, and introduce her to family and friends. Mm -hmm. Now, he'd either say it was a girlfriend's daughter to family members or maybe a grandchild to his friends. So he kind of told different people different things, um, which is always a risky business. Um, He treated Amanda better than Michelle and Gina. Um, He would give her more privileges, allow her to watch TV with him, give her better food, like she'd get steak and Mm. the other two would get some rubbishy McDonald's. Um, that was like cold by the time it got to them mm. do you know what I mean so he's again just all these mind games mind games he used to like try to pit them against each other as much as possible yeah. to try and call, cause discord between them Yeah, he did like to play Russian roulette as a trust game to see which of them he could trust mm. so he'd give the girls his gun say pointed at my head and then he, which if one of them like tried to shoot at them, they'd obviously get absolutely beaten. Gosh. But what they didn't know is the gun was always empty. Mm. I mean, I'm sure they figured it out eventually. Mm. Um, so there is 
was another time when, and this is really, really strange. So on July the 18th, 2012, the FBI began digging up a vacant area on West 30th Street, which apparently isn't that far away, mm. um, where Robert Wolford had claimed he had murdered Amanda with another girl, uh, with another person, sorry, and, be- and they had buried her body in this plot of land. So Pedro had, Pedro, who is Castro's brother, mm-hmm had happened to walk by this site when Fox News are videoing the FBI there um, digging. And he actually says to Fox News, that's a waste of time. <gasps> what? How do you know? No. Isn't that so weird? Yeah. God. Anyway, that's just a little snippet, you think. Mm. But um, so Robert Wolford later admits that he made the whole thing up and he was given an extra four and a half years in prison. And oh, it cost the state 150,000. No. One, yeah, one hundred and fifty thousand US dollars in order to do that dig. Blimmin' heck! Absolute waste wow. of everyone's time. Yeah. So, um, you would think now having you know two captors, ca- captive, you know, young girls in his house would be enough, but nope. Castro is still not done yet. So, um. 14-year-old Georgina Linda Jesus, also known as Gina, was last seen at a payphone around 3 3 p.m. on her way home from middle school. She was the best friend of Castro's daughter, Arlene. Um, Just before she disappears, um, her and Arlene wanted to have a sleepover at Gina's house. But Arlene's mum, who is Castro's um, ex-baby mama, the one that he beat up all the time, um, oh yeah. She says no. So Gina walks home alone. Um, so Arlene is his daughter, um, and she's actually the last person to see Gina before she suddenly disappears. So, so crazy. So crazy. So she's walking. Castro pulls up beside Gina and recognizing him, um, and he goes, "I'm looking for Arlene." He'd actually meant to give Arlene a lift home originally that day. But when he saw the two girls together, he waits for them to split up so he could follow Gina instead. So he's driving in the wrong direction, giving weird reasons like, you need to help me move a loudspeaker and all these kind of things. Um, But once inside his house, he takes Gina to a bathroom and says to her, show me your privates. Gross. Oh my God, awful. So obviously instantly she wants to leave um, and he like starts freaking out he says drags her to the basement he ties her up to the pole um and he subsequently rapes her he puts that motorcycle helmet over her head so again the sensory deprivation that um amanda had also experienced you know years before and um yeah. and michelle had also experienced at some stage too he does the same thing to all of them doesn't yeah he? he does it is his way of completely almost cutting you off completely from everything yeah you know how isolating and, and also claustrophobic and i know michelle also pure pa- terror yeah i know that michelle passed out a few times um and i'm sure the other girls probably did too but from having this motorcycle stuck on their head for long periods of time you, they're actually passing in and out of consciousness oh because my God. the lack of, of oxygen so um as as he leaves her down there with the helmet on her head uh michelle who's upstairs can hear all of this like banging and knocking and and screaming and she's just praying because she knows there's a new girl um now gina's mom reports her missing instantly so her family and friends are posting like missing posters and like flyers and castro inserts himself into this of course he does of course he does so he is helping her family with um the 
putting up missing posters and the flyers and he even gives her mum a hug and says you know how sorry he is that she's missing all the while knowing in his head that she is locked up in his basement exactly where she is so sick and he's obviously getting you know like gratification and pleasure from knowing what they don't know yeah horrible so back in the house he now makes michelle drill some new holes in the wall of her room um or her prison um ready for his new victim now michelle had been watching the tv and so she knew that gina was missing so she knew who it was going to be The media did connect the disappearances of Amanda Berry and Gina because they both disappeared within sight of Amanda Berry's workplace, which was Mm. Burger King. Yeah, that Lorraine Avenue. Exactly. So very strange coincidence, no? Um, So Castro is now getting paranoid that a CCTV camera near the girl's school, where he'd obviously gone to like look for Arlene or pick up Arlene, had recorded him on the day of Gina's abduction. But unfortunately, the camera wasn't working at that time. Um, oh, God, why is yeah, always the way? I know. And actually, he was so paranoid during this period of time that he writes a really long letter in case anyone does ca- catch him, um, which he probably would have killed himself before anyone could catch him. That was his plan, but he wrote a really yeah. long, you know, self-indulgent letter as well, just explaining, or we're trying to make excuses for, for the, what he'd done and stuff. Mm. So um, Gina and Michelle were put into a room together where the routine beatings, the rapes, the daily humiliation would continue for good for years. The two girls beat up a really, beat up, built up a really close bond through this time and lent on each other for emotional support. Um, um, Amanda obviously was in her own room with her daughter, so she didn't have as much interactive time with those two. Um, the search for Amanda and Gina absolutely blew up when it was profiled on America's Most Wanted. Mm. And Ariel was so excited about this that he cancelled one of his music gigs to stay in and watch it because he was so happy that he'd, he thinks that he'd outwitted the FBI. Um, and he even, after watching this, treated himself to a new SUV because he was so proud of himself. It's so weird. Um that he is and didn't he and I forgot to mention this in my little thing there Mm. but for every single one of them he started a tradition after like the second year I think of Amanda being Mm. there birthday cake the birthday cake yeah he he would have like um kidnapping uh anniversaries yeah but he kind of called them like their birthdays yeah and so basically he'd bring a cake and all the girls would get to have a bit of this cake to celebrate how long each girl had been in there. Cap- in, you know, held captive for so insane. Um, so one time after sexually assaulting Gina in, in a room on her own, he took one of her missing person posters and he stuck it on the wall next to her, which is so sick as he was raping her next to her missing poster. Oh God. I mean, what kind of twisted mind is, is this, you know? Yeah, there's no understanding him. No, absolutely. He'd chain the two girls together from one of their feet. It's like one of, so that one, would have a chain on her feet and the other would have it round her neck so they kind of would have to move in sync because obviously or, or basically move together because the chains were attached sometimes they'd be attached by their hands sometimes by their waist um and the girls would you know in their own time together share stories um about their pasts and about their families and about their fears and they talk to each other you know, getting a small comfort from the hell that they were going through. Mm-hmm. Um, Michelle would write a list for things that she would take camping one day when she she wanted to go camping. So it was her way of thinking about the future and and, really and getting out of captive, you know, 
being held captive yeah. all the things that they would dream of doing one day talking about that kept them going um every day his routine was to come home beat them and he would rate them he'd talk about how amanda's his wife and his favorite like as you said um he would let amanda go and watch tv on the sofa with him um most of the time the others not as much on the second year of amanda's abduction this is when he got the cake for them all mm. so um to celebrate it and um, after a while, he allowed them to walk around freely in their rooms. So he knew at this point how much control that he had over them. And although they're still living in filth, like, and they had buckets for toilets and these dirty mattresses. I mean, I think it was after about n- nine years of being a captive mm. that Michelle was finally able to start walking around the exactly. house free. That's how long and it not took Not even around him. the house, just around no, her room. Just the room, exactly. Yeah. Um, they even had these bed sores um, oh. that, from the filthy mattresses and surfaces that they were being kept on he drilled peep holes in the doors and the walls so he could spy on them he would play russian roulette like you've um, already said and which is another way to um brainwash and mess with their minds did you i don't know if you're about to say this but this really creeped me out that he had just st- st- strategically 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 placed mirrors all around the house so that he could see through reflections. That's so creepy. Oh my God. I know. That it is freaks like, it is like me something out. from like a, a horror That film. is a horror movie. Yeah, totally. Um, so he would, um, he could see from the TV reports on the news of them obviously being reported missing, except Michelle, who wasn't on the system anymore. So he would always use that to um, make her feel worse and worse about herself and also kind of separate her from the other girls. Like, you are less wanted. Yeah. Nobody cares about you. And that went on for eight years. Um, like you said, Amanda's mum died when, when all that was going on, which was awful. And when Amanda's daughter Jocelyn was born, and obviously she was treated differently as Jocelyn grew up, even though obviously the beatings and, and sex abuse continued, they were all sometimes allowed to watch his favorite TV show on the couch with him, which was Keeping Up with the Kardashians. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I don't get me wrong. I love Kidding. a good old reality show. But <clears> I mean, I, that not that crazy? Sitting there with your three girls Captives. that you kidnapped and have been stuck there for years at this point, watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Um, this is when he did he would make obscene remarks about Kim Kardashian yeah um, don't want to say any more because we don't get sued Gina <laughs> <laughs> um, Michelle would make toys for Jocelyn and stuff like that to try and make her more comfortable and um, like you said you know he thought this was like one big dysfunctional family now one day the neighbours saw the three girls naked being walked on all fours in the garden they called the police the police never came so when his family visited all the girls were chained and threatened to keep quiet um whilst his family were in the house um and he would keep his 0.44 magnum on him at all times because he wanted the girls to know that he always had it at hand even though you're right it wasn't actually loaded but they didn't know that no they never knew so now we're up to May the 6th, 2013. So Castro leaves his home at 4 p.m. and he says he's going to his mum's house. Now, six-year-old Jocelyn, his daughter, is running around as she can walk around freely and she's saying, daddy's gone. So Amanda goes, mm, it's probably another trick where he would pretend to leave and then be hiding nearby to, to scare them, it's, you know, so they wouldn't escape. But... Um, Amanda's bedroom door is unlocked. So as always, because, you know, she's got more freedom now, she she decides that she'd try and go downstairs. um, And she tries pushing open the front door. She must have been so scared. Now, the front door is unlocked. 
for the <gasps> first time ever, she's pushed it and it's unlocked. So she tries pushing it more, but it's sealed shut with a three panel screen in front of it. And it's chained, it's chained and locked from the outside, but there's a gap. So through the gap, she sees two neighbors just sitting on a wall across the street. Oh and she starts pounding at this door and, and just shaking it and banging to get their attention. <clears throat> it doesn't work at first. So using all her force, she starts throwing herself against it and she's screaming, help me. I'm Amanda Berry. Help me. So Aurora Marty hears the screaming from across the street and he can see Amanda's arm waving through that gap in the front door. So him and his friend who were sitting across the road get up and they start walking across the road. Charles Charles Ramsey, who had moved to Seymour Avenue one year earlier and knew Castro from socialising on the street, also hears the screams. At the time, he's 43 years of age. So on this day, he had just come from the McDonald's and he was eating a Big Mac. He hears the screaming and the banging and he says the screaming so loud that children stopped playing on the street. He saw Amanda um, trying to break break through the front door mm. or that screen panelling and he knew Castro lives alone so he's thinking, this isn't right, what's yeah. going on over here? So he starts walking over as well after the other two but they couldn't get the door open. None of them could get it open. So he says to her, look, start kicking out this panel at the bottom and they're all trying to kick it out and Mm. they do. And she crawls out and she arrives out and then reaches back and pulls out her daughter. So they're all looking going, what the hell is going on? So they're all in shock and they... So and he says that she he says that he would hear a salsa music coming from the house that Castro actually once told him to turn his music down and that he had said, you know, he respected that and said to mm-hmm. Castro, yeah, no problem. And this guy goes on to actually become quite famous. Oh. So in his interview that the following or that day, just out like an hour or two after Amanda gets out, mm. he tells the news anchors that Jocelyn was crying for her daddy and he's asking Amanda, why is she crying for her daddy? Who is she crying for? And Amanda's explaining to him, Castro is his daddy, it's Castro, she's crying for him. And the news anchor is looking at him really uncomfortably at this point because this has not all been confirmed yet. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of saying, well, they don't really know if that's um, who this is and whatever. But um, he starts, like, he blows up, okay? So there is like memes about him and it's like uh, he's trending on everything. They're calling him hashtag Chuck Ramsey. Mm-hmm. So he says this thing where... In the ABC TV interview that he did immediately afterwards, he becomes famous for saying, I knew there was something wrong when a pretty little white girl ran into a black man's arms. Dead giveaway, dead giveaway. And this... I remember this interview when it happened. I remember when they were found. And this blows up. It's made into this auto-tune remix. Mm. And it just... So it's within... So within three days, 6.5 million views. Within five days almost 12 million views and at the time this is when memes are just becoming a popular yeah. thing so we've there's never really been an explosion like this mm-hmm. of um, memes on the internet yeah I suppose because this case was huge though as well I mean yeah, but it was all just happening so yeah. quickly mm. so McDonald's gives him like a year supply of burgers for all the free advertising and he claims that they actually stopped because he was giving out the tokens to homeless people mm. so he claims that they actually stopped that but oh. I, I didn't hear it I, I didn't really 
hear anything from McDonald's on that side. Mm-hmm. He went on to write a book about his life after the rescue called The Rescue Hamburgers White Folks. What you saw on TV doesn't begin to tell the story. Mm. So his life does change a lot after all of this. He can't continue to work in his job because people continuously come up to him to shake his hand and congratulate him. Or people can be kind of a bit mean to him. Mm. Like he's quite a, he's quite an out there character. Because he saves them. Yes, yes. So people are constantly coming up. Mm. So eventually he gets fired from his jobs because mm. he can't, he can't, can't get anything done. So does he call the police or does she call the police? I'm going to tell you now. Oh. <laughs> so, he, they actually both do. Oh. So he's calling the police and she's calling the police at the same time. So they run across the road to Aurora's house. Mm. So on the 6th of May 2013 at 5.52pm, Amanda makes her now infamous phone call to 911 operators. She's frantically telling operators, I'm Amanda Berry, I've been kidnapped, I've been missing for 10 years, I'm here, I'm free now. So, police officer Anthony Espada and James Tracy get a code one, which is the highest priority call from the dispatchers explaining Amanda's call, sending them to Seymour Avenue. As they approach the address, a woman runs towards the car with a young girl. Spada said that his partner recognises her immediately, mainly due to the eyebrow ring, which she still had on her mm. left eye, I think it was. Um, Amanda's pointing to the house, and initially they think Castro's still in there, that's what she's pointing at. Mm. Espada couldn't get the screen door open either because of the chain. Um, so he climbs through the gap the same way Amanda did. So, and he's followed in by another officer, jo- Barbara Johnson. When they get to the bottom of the stairs, he says there's like a swing set blocking it. So they're kind of pushing it over. Mm. But you can imagine, their hearts are going 90. The house wow. is uh, dark, even though it's a sunny day so outside. So dark, and all the windows are boarded. all the windows are boarded. He's like, even mm-hmm. push... Um, and some of them even put bricks in front of the windows. Wow. So it's completely dark. Mm. So they're going up the stairs and he said Barbara's behind him or Johnson is behind him. And at the top of the stairs is a huge curtain. So he says he can't see if anyone's behind it. So he's like freaking, like he's like, you know, yeah. nervous. So he gets up and he pulls it aside, can't see anybody. And then he's saying, you know, they're calling police, police, you know, Cleveland police. And but um, Michelle will later go on to say that herself and Gina are hiding in the bedroom because they're so convinced that this is Castro tricking Mm -hmm. them. So eventually Michelle peeps her head out the door and he said it was like just he just saw a little head peep out and look back. And Barbara Johnson shines her torch on her badge Mm -hmm. so that they can see it. Yeah. And then next thing the officer says that he literally just sees this tiny little girl run and jump on him screaming, you saved us, you saved Aww. us. And he said like he's actually, she's actually wrapped her legs around him, mm. his arms around him and she's like hugging onto him. Oh my gosh. So she, he notices another shadow in the doorway, but Gina's still hesitating to leave the room. Mm-hmm. So it he- It was Michelle that jumped up He was Michelle, him, sorry. And Michelle, yeah. obviously he thought she was a child. She's, so, she's small, so small and she was so emaciated yeah. that he thought this is a child. She's yeah. actually 32. Mm-hmm. So he goes into the room, sees Gina and he's saying to her, you know, we're here now, you're okay. What's your name? And he said, when she says her name, that he literally has to take a beat. Wow. Because Gina's name has been all over the so news famous. for nine yeah. years yeah. now. Yeah, and Amanda They've Berry. just found Amanda Berry and now Gina's here too. Yeah. So he said he literally had to take a beat because he was just so emotionally invested and then he just puts it over the dispatcher and he just says, we found them, we found them. Yeah. Oh God, I feel like I'm going to cry. I know, I've got um, Yeah. 
So Espada later went on to actually get the date and time tattooed on his upper arm of 05613 1752 wow. of when he found when the incredible yeah. So Castro told first interviewers that they lived as a happy family, like completely delusional. Mm. So he was arrested by 6.05 or 6.10. They had already picked him up and he was arrested. Mm. But he was arrested alongside his brother O'Neill. It's like O'Neill, like O'Neill. So he was in the van with him when he was arrested. Mm -hmm. He had no idea what was going on. And he starts saying, oh, maybe it's it's Pedro. When we left the house, he was passed out. So the police then go around the mother's house and pick up Pedro, the mm-hmm. brother, who is passed out on the front lawn drunk because they'd been having a barbecue or something that day wow. and has no pants on. Oh, my God. Right? So they pick up Pedro, put him in the back of the squad car. So now the three brothers mm. in custody. Um, now, obviously, both brothers are later released without charge. And they really soon after, it's like within four days, do an interview on CNN where they vehemently deny that they knew anything about Castro holding the girls hostage, mm-hmm. say they'll never forgive him and that she, he should rot in hell for yeah. the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Castro, <clears throat> so when Castro was in with the interviewers, they were asking him, like, what's your end game here? What was your way out? Mm-hmm. What was your plan for these captives? So he said he wasn't a killer. That was all he said back. So later, please find the confession or the suicide letter that was in his kitchen <clears throat> that you mentioned. Yeah. It had been dated the 4th of April, 2.05 p.m. In it, he claims that he hadn't, re- hadn't raped Je- Gina. Now, that was at this stage anyway. Yeah. And he hadn't realized how young she was, apparently. Not sure if I believe that, as it was his daughter's friend. Yeah. Um, he intended to let the women go when he had arranged everything and then taken his own life. Mm-hmm. says that in the bank he has 10,800 and blah, 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 and that another 11,000 in the washing machine downstairs. Um, and he would like this money to go to the victims as compensation, saying that they deserve every red cent of it. Um, Apologised to his children, saying don't get in a stranger's child cars and asks his ex-wife, Grimilda, to make sure the children are safe, if possible, to move away, knows he's mentally sick, and when it's found, that letter's been in the drawer for nine years. Wow. He's a horrible person. Um, so, sentence, trial and his sentencing. On the 8th of May, 2013, Castro's charged with four counts of kidnapping and three counts of rape. On the 7th of June, 2013, after being examined by psychiatrists, Castro is proven sane and fit to stand trial. Mm. A grand jury indicts Castro on 329 counts. 139 counts of rape, 177 of kidnapping, seven counts of gross sexual imposition, three counts of felonious assault, two counts of aggravated murder, which is for violent force miscarriages, one Mm -hmm. count of possession of criminal tools. So he has his eyes closed during the whole hearing and his head lowered throughout, won't look at anyone. So the judge, Pam Barco, actually has to ask Castro can you lift your head and look at me, please? Mm. I need to know that you understand what I'm saying to you. Castro decides to enter a plea um, a plea deal at this stage, but pleads not guilty. <laughs> Bail is set at 8 million. So on the 26th of July, 2013, Castro agrees to a plea deal to escape the death penalty. And on the 1st of August, at the hearing, Castro pleads guilty to 937 charges, including the kidnap, rape and murder charges. 
However, during his statement, Castro continues to play the victim. Right. Saying he's not making any excuses, but, 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 It was but. the murder for the babies that yeah. were miscarried. Mm. And and what, so we don't know yet. We're not, we need to check about whether it's for the wife as well. Yeah, who, I, I am going to look into it. That could have been it. at least the manslaughter charge, even though, you know, years later she died from yeah. the head injury. But still, he's the one who caused but, it. Yeah, it's still his fault. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so he says he's sick and he has an addiction to watching porn and masturbation. He also makes a strange statement referring to himself as an emotional and very happy person inside. I don't know. Um, he says, and this is a quote, I'm not a monster. I'm just sick. I have an addiction just like an alcoholic has an addiction. God as my witness. I never beat these women like they're trying to say that I did. I never tortured them. Like he's just a liar. He claims that he isn't a violent person, but simply kept the girls so that they couldn't leave. Um, he says that the girls aren't being truthful, that the sex was consensual, and he was happy, and and it was a happy and harmonious ha- household. But he also goes on to talk about how they were that none of them were virgins at the time mm. of kidnapping. Well, what's that got to do? Yeah, him? absolutely. And I don't know. Um, all three girls had kept extensive diaries, which he had allowed them to keep, which had recorded all the abuse that they endured by his hands. All of this is used in evidence against him. Barry and Jesus, or De Jesus chose not to attend the hearing and sent family members instead to deliver their statements. However, Knight chose to face Castro head on. Michelle makes a very movement sta- moving statement in which she says she missed her son every day. He was only she, yeah, he was only two when she was abducted. She cried every night and felt so alone. Years turned into eternity. Nobody should have to go through what she went through, not even her worst enemy. Her friendship with Gina was the only thing, good thing to come of this. She helped her get through this. She nursed her back to health when she was sick from his abuse. She speaks directly to Castro and says, you took 11 years of, of my life from me. That was 11 years in hell, but I've got my life back. Now your hell is just beginning. I will overcome all of this that has happened, but you will have to face hell for eternity. From this moment on, I will not let you define me or affect who I am. I will live on and you will die a little bit every day. What what does God think of you as a hypocritical, went to church every Sunday and then you would come home to torture us? You deserve to spend life in prison. Um, writing in the statement, writing the statement has made me stronger, a stronger woman. After 11 years, I'm finally being heard and it's liberating. Thank you all and God bless you. He is sentenced to life in prison plus 1,000 years by Judge Michael Russo, who tells Castro there was no place in the world for his brand of criminal. As the hearing came to a close, Castro turned around to the family members of the victims and says, thank you, victims, please find it in your heart to forgive me. No, absolutely no. No chance, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, So now he's imprisoned with no prospect of release. Now that is karma. Um, Castro Mm -hmm. tells experts and police the bottom line is I'm a sexual predator who needs help, but I don't bother to get it. I didn't bother to get it, basically. Like, that's an excuse. Um, Experts say claims he committed his crimes because he was sick are rubbish, basically. Um, Jim Van Allen, the former director of the Ontario Criminal Profiling Unit, described Castro as a sexual sadist and compared him to the likes of your man Paul Bernardo, one no of the Ken and Barbie killers. Yep, another sexual sadistic, sexually sadistic psychopath, basically. He was That's so random. Yeah, he was also classed as a typical psychopath. Um, so he's arrogant, he's got no empathy or remorse, and he's totally incapable of taking responsibility himself for his actions, yet he looks normal on the outside. Um, a prison psychiatrist 
psychiatrist diagnosed him with narcissistic personality disorder with antisocial features with a fragile self-esteem now on september 3rd 2013 one month into his life sentence 53 year old coward ariel castro was found hanging from a bedsheet in his cell prison staff performed cpr but the monster of cleveland was pronounced dead he had a shrine type situation going on in his cell with like family pictures and a bible and things so you could see he wanted to kill himself um reading his prison journal it was clear the prospect of life behind bars and the constant harassment he received was the catalyst for his suicide and the fact that he's been disowned by most of his family now another little fact i've got here speaking of his family his daughter Mm. emily who was 24 at the time was jailed for 25 years for attempted murder of her 11 month old baby so essentially so castro's grandchild she tried to kill the his grandchild her daughter um or maybe son i'm not sure when she slit its throat after a breakup with the baby daddy and that was just a few years ago another fact that i had written down was when they were looking at all of the evidence in the house and i just thought that this was so horrific the um forensic specialist mm. um was looking into like the chains and things like that but he measured the length of the chains and the weight of the chains and the chains were 99 feet three inches long and weighed 90 92.29 pounds there was numerous different chains used to connect all of these chains mm-hmm. with padlocks connecting all these different chains together that just wound in and around the house mm-hmm. and that was you know, this is how he had them all tied up at all times. Crazy. I know. Awful. Yeah. Um, and now after the kidnap, obviously all three of the girls are free and they're mm. able to live, start living their lives um, after the years that were stolen from them. You know, obviously Michelle has spent the longest time there. And then Amanda was just, what, 10 years? And I think Gina was... Um, nine. Yeah, nine. So Michelle actually got tattoos to express and symbolize what had happened in her life. And her son, who's now 22, she still hasn't seen him yet. Oh, no. um, but she doesn't, she said she doesn't want to put all of this stuff on him um but i think she he sent pictures and things like that of her to his foster parents um amanda and gina apparently don't speak to michelle or they Can aren't I in contact i just tell you one more thing about michelle that i really like yeah so michelle has actually set up a um oh she set up like an animal shelter yeah that she lives on and she saves yeah saves like animals from abuse and things like that so or animals that can't be rehomed she quite often will take them in that's like a dream i'd love Mm. to do that and she also wrote a book called finding me that if you did want to find more out about this it's actually a really really interesting book and absolutely i don't want to say good because that's no, awful, but, but, but i mean it's a, a crazy story of yeah, and it's bravery and resilience yeah. and the fact that she uh, you know the life that you know was handed to her as well yeah. year after year <clears> she managed to get through it she also changed her name to lily rose which is a, a beautiful name yeah and i think she's um, okay with that being known it's not like yeah no she actually does quite a few interviews and she's married. as well she's married she's learning to play the piano um and Amanda Berry, um, she's reunited with her sister when she escaped because obviously her mother at this point had died. Her sister was so 
obviously like completely ecstatic to be reunited with her um amanda berry is working to help bring missing people home which is incredible she's hosted a segment on missing people for fox 8 yeah um since 2017 and it's called missing with amanda berry so she's profiling missing persons cases and asking the so public amazing. yeah to offer any information and so they're all they're helping others and you know other animals and other people using their own terrible experiences for the good to benefit benefit other other missing people and it's amazing um in 2015 amanda and gina co-wrote a book called hope a memoir of survival in cleveland gina de jesus is enjoying a quiet life with her family um and she's joined forces with the ohio ohio amber alert committee so she plans to help survivors and their family members and she meets with families of the victims to provide them support which is like i'm sure she has a lot of experience with that that place is called cleveland the cleveland family center for missing children and adults Mm. and it's actually on the corner of seymour avenue wow so she's kind of you know i heard somebody put phrase it in this way and Mm. i can't remember where i heard it but she's gone back on her own terms of course and i thought that's actually quite incredible and we also should mention that that house of horrors has been raised to the ground it's no longer stands when something's raised when something's knocked down they say it's been raised to the ground doesn't it do they yeah i've never heard that phrase yeah and so it's actually not there anymore so we'll post pictures of of it before and after as well gina hayes gina de jesus's auntie was actually the one to pull the lever on the jc yeah amazing which i thought wow and i believe so cathartic for the family probably yeah now i want to go back to the 911 call that amanda berry made when she says help me i'm amanda berry so um that very famous call that we can all you can google it you can hear it everywhere um the operator who received amanda's frantic call came under a lot of fire because there was actually reports that there was a muffled sound of of the operator calling her a fucking bitch Oh my God. Which um, analysts and that went over and experts to see if that actually happened. It was just before the phone was cut off. And she's also, they were also criticized for not keeping Amanda on the phone or comforting her, which is the usual protocol. Yeah. um, The call started with, I've been missing for 10 years. I'm here. I'm free now. I'm Amanda Berry. So she's giving as much information as she can. You know, Amanda Berry was a big name. It's a big missing persons case. And it was an old missing persons case. Um, And it, it seemed like she was being quite dismissive Mm. not comforting at all now people say this person um who was the very first to actually converse with amanda besides you know the guys that rescued her yeah um she sounded she didn't sound or they didn't sound sensitive towards her who she's very clearly distressed um so i know it must be a really hard job as an operator and you Mm. don't know what you're going to be hearing next but um that um you know and also apparently some say they thought it was a prank but there was a lot of like you know uh, grief that this operator got after that phone call now um yeah and i think after all that i'll have to say like i think after that whole story i would say it's incredible what these girls have been through absolutely and the fact that she managed to make that call say as much as she did and they've all gone on to live incredible lives and do so I, much no i that's what i keep thinking of you know i, I found myself welling up a lot researching this one i, yeah. I have to say i'll be glad not never to hear ariel castro's name oh, again he is vile um yes. it really got to me this case yeah felt like i was welling up all the time going oh my god yeah. oh my god um, absolutely but yeah the fact that they've come out and they've done such amazing things with their lives since is yeah. oh and we d- never said but it is actually last month in so may 2023 was the 10 year anniversary 
of their escape. Yeah. So we're in May now. So this is, you know, like that was a couple of weeks ago was the 10 year anniversary. Yeah. So, but this will be coming out next week. So we'll yeah. actually be in June. Yeah, but we are actually in May at the moment. Right, but we're in May right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it is 10 years since their escape, which is it incredible. Is. And it's so great to hear that they are doing well. And it that is. they've got these amazing. And it's amazing that like, despite the years of hell that they've had to endure that, you know, um, they can actually help other survivors mm. and, and give hope to, you know, um, um, families of missing victims as well. Absolutely. So that was the story of the the monster of Cleveland, Ariel Castro. Thank so. you very much for listening, everybody. We hope that you, yeah. I hate saying enjoyed. <laughs> we hope yeah. that you enjoyed the episode and that you found you found the case interesting anyway. Yeah, exactly. Say. Well, guys, make sure you follow us on all of our social medias, TikTok, yes, Instagram, Facebook. Send us messages and we will see you all next week. Awesome. Bye. bye. See you next week.